God, this is the day that you have made. And so we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, we bring um, all kinds of distractions and disappointments and frustrations. We bring highs and lows. We bring concerns and anxieties. We bring worries and cares. We bring fears into this sanctuary every Sunday morning or onto this live stream every Sunday morning. And I pray now, God, as we prepare to hear from you, that you would allow us to roll those burdens off of our backs and onto you. You invite us to do so, and would you empower us to do it? May we sense, even in this moment, that your yoke is easy and that your burden is light. God, we pray that you would speak to us now. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us who you are and teaches us who we is. And I pray that in these moments, the truth of your gospel, the beauty of your gospel, the too-good-to-be-true nature, but it is, of your gospel, would be known and seen so clearly. We thank you for this sweet time we have to gather as a church in your name. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning again, and welcome to church. I was paying attention to my prayer and not getting my materials ready, so just bear with me two seconds. We're in Mark this morning. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, he, that's Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, it was the fall of my freshman year in high school, fall of my freshman year. I just started high school. And a friend of mine who was a sophomore was on his way to my house to pick me up. I was in the front entryway of our house looking out the window, the little slanty window right next to the front door. And I saw a car pull into the driveway, so I headed out to meet him. My friend was a sophomore, but he was actually not in his car. Uh, he was in someone else's car that I didn't know. And the guy who was driving that car was a senior in high school. And the windows were down, which I thought was a little bit curious because it was fall in Ohio, and so it was a pretty chilly evening. And as my friend got out of the passenger seat, it was a, it was a Plymouth Neon Coupe. If you know, you know. And slid the seat forward for me to slide into the back. I noticed why the windows were down, and that is because the driver, senior in high school, I'm a freshman, was smoking a cigarette. I looked to my right and my left to see if my parents were out there and if this was some kind of test. They weren't, and so I got in the back and we, we went off. We drove across my town, we drove to kind of the outskirts of town, uh, and we pulled into a driveway, uh, one of these windy driveways that heads back into the woods where you can't see the house from the street. And as we wound down that long driveway, this enormous house came into view, 
And, and what I realized was happening at that house this evening was an enormous party, a huge house party. There had to be 75 cars parked on the lawn. The lawn was all torn up and, and turfed where the cars had pulled out onto the lawn. There had to be 300 high school kids mulling about in the driveway and in the grass. And you just need to know something before I describe this house party. And that is, I was a church kid. Like through and through, I was a church kid. I was very comfortable in khaki pants and a polo shirt tucked into those khaki pants with some hair gel to keep it to the side. I knew sword drills. I knew memory verses. I knew all the books of the Bible in order. And I even had a a Bible carrying case. Again, if you know, you know. This was not the church crowd at this party that we had just shown up to. As we got out of the car and started heading towards the house, um, it became clear that uh, the driver of the car I had been in was not unique. There were a bunch of kids here, and they were smoking. A lot of them were wearing Jenko jeans. Again, if you know, you know. And I'm just going to date myself a little bit here, but Jenko jeans were wide leg jeans, but calling them wide leg jeans is like calling Mount Everest a hill. They were jeans that you could fit a large watermelon through each leg of the jeans. I could get like six pairs of jeans out of one pair of Jenko jeans. And it was clear that whoever was hosting this party was expecting it because there were buckets filled with sand, which were like makeshift ashtrays for all the kids who were smoking there. And so I kind of like was expecting the cops to show up at any minute. And I also was a little bit nervous because my parents had encouraged me to go to this thing. They had wanted me to go to it. And I was like, if they knew what was going on here, they would never have let me come to this. A few moments later, kind of on cue, Everyone heads into the the garage of this big house. Everyone kicks off their shoes, 600 smelly high school shoes sitting there in the garage. Everyone heads down into the basement, and we spent the next hour singing songs like Free Fallen and Crocodile Rock, playing games like Chubby Bunny, and one where you get this clear tube, and you crack a raw egg into it, and two people stand on either side and blow into it, and whoever has the weakest lung capacity gets a mouth and face full of raw egg. It's glorious. We're not going to do that here, but it's glorious. And then in the last 15 minutes, this older guy who wasn't a high schooler stood up, read a story from the Bible, and talked about Jesus. That raging house party I went to was a ministry called Young Life. Young Life was not the church crowd. It was a bunch of kids who would never feel we're going to do this again. It was a bunch of kids who would never feel comfortable in a church, who, who probably wouldn't feel welcome in a church. And yet here was this space where they felt safe and welcomed and they were being taught about Jesus. I was a complete insider when it came to church, when it came to God, when it came to Jesus. And there were a bunch of kids there who were total outsiders. But they were welcomed and they were safe and they were loved And I know firsthand because I saw it, it transformed many of their lives. I saw many of my friends and classmates' lives changed for eternity because of that ministry where they made outsiders feel comfortable, safe, and welcome. That's not even the sermon. We all know about insiders and outsiders, don't we? We live in a world and a culture that is raging 
to create lines of delineation between insiders and outsiders. We are always fighting to be on the inside somewhere. When our, when our politician wins, we rejoice because now we're on the insider. We're on the inside. And when our politician loses, we're despondent because now we have to move to the outside. We live in a culture that works itself to the bone to get into the right school to get the right job so they can get the right car and the right house so they can get into the right country club because we long to feel like an insider. The place that I buy my coffee beans and the place that I buy my athletic shorts both has rewards programs. Why are reward or loyalty programs so powerful and effective? Because we all want to feel like an insider. And so I have way more coffee beans than I need and I have way more workout shorts than I need because I want to feel like an insider. And we live in a place here in the Bay Area where it is just like imposed on us every day. The physical embodiment of insiders and outsiders is all around us. Do you live in the peninsula or outside the peninsula? Do you work in tech or are you a pastor? Sometimes I think that's the only two options. <laughs> Even within tech, are you an engineer or are you something else? Do you have the sticker on your car? that allows you to drive in the special lane on the highway. Please, God, give me that sticker one day. <laughs> Insiders and outsiders. Do you own your home or do you rent your home? Do you own a second home? What university did you go to? Do you like Phil's coffee or do you not? These are important questions. And they are all representations of our culture's love to make lines of delineation between insiders and outsiders. And it's not just out there, it's in here as well. We love in the church to create lines of delineation between insiders and outsiders. And we are in a season right now where the church is, is filled with opportunities to create distinctions between inside and outside. Masks, vaccines, social justice, politics, politicians, policies, all of these are flashpoints in the body of Christ right now for us to say, I'm an insider and you're an outsider. Now, I don't think that's unique. Anyone who says the church has never seen division like it's seen right now just doesn't know church history. We have been trying to create lines of delineation between insiders and outsiders since Jesus Christ walked this earth. And that's what we're going to see in the text that we look at today. And so as we sit here today, there are some of us who feel like we're insiders. There are some of us who feel like we're outsiders. There are some of us who are not really sure whether we're an insider or we're an outsider. And as we turn to our text, we are going to see Jesus confronting that question and blowing it to smithereens as he always does, wrecking the status quo when it comes to insiders and outsiders. We're in a series in the Gospel of Mark that we're calling Let's Go because in the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus all about action. And it is a call to us to remember that faith in him, following him, walking with him is more than about what we believe in our head and what happens in our hearts. It is about what we do with our hands as well. It is about action. And we're going to continue to see that as we look at it today. The title of my sermon today is Guess Who is Coming to Dinner? I was going to call it Nasty Neighbors at the Neighborhood Cookout, but I decided to go with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? And we're going to see in this text that age-old tension between insiders and outsiders. As we're moving through Mark's gospel, we are beginning to see conflict arise. Jesus has come. He's announced the arrival of the kingdom of God. And the religious leaders, the ones who think they are the insiders, are not happy about it. 
And so last week, this week, and next week, there is a why question in each of the texts. Last week, Jason preached about the para- Jesus healing the paralytic, and the, the insiders asked Jesus, why do you say the things that you do? This week, the insiders ask Jesus, uh, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Next week, they'll say, why do you do the things that you do? Because he is wrecking their understanding of who is an insider and who is an outsider. And so my hope, as we work through these few verses together, I got 14 minutes and I'm not even doing my introduction. Look out. Is that we're going we're gonna to come out on the other side way clearer on what Jesus has to say about the status of insiders and outsiders in his kingdom. Okay, first thing I want us to see in this text. I don't know if I'm going to need this. First thing I want to see in this text is this. Jesus calls outsiders. Jesus calls outsiders. Look with me back at verses 13 and 14. It says, Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Do you know what I think is interesting about this passage? Is just a few verses earlier, back in chapter 1, we already had a calling of disciples. You, you might remember that. Jason preached on it several weeks ago. Jesus called uh, Simon and Andrew, James and John, four of the 12 disciples. Very similar story. They're fishermen. He calls them out of their boats. They leave everything to follow him. And now just a few passages later, we get another story of Jesus calling a disciple to himself. Mark doesn't give us all 12 calls. He doesn't give us the calling for all 12 disciples. So why does he include this one when he already included the one about the four fishermen? This is why. Well, we learn from the text is that Levi is a, is a tax collector, right? He's sitting at the tax booth. That probably doesn't mean he just was hanging out at the tax booth. That means that he was working at the tax booth. He was a tax collector, and uh, I'm not going to say it. Listen to what one scholar says about Levi and his, call, his, his role as a tax collector. This is from William Lane in his commentary on Mark. He says, Levi would be a Jewish tax official in the service of Herod Antipas, Such officials were detested everywhere and were classed with the evilest of men. The practice of leasing the customs duty of a district at a fixed sum encouraged gross opposition, gross oppression by tax officers anxious to secure as large a profit as possible. When a Jew entered the customs service, he was regarded as an outcast from society. He was disqualified as a judge or a witness in in a court session, was excommunicated from the synagogue, and in the eyes of the community, his disgrace extended to his family." In extra-biblical literature we have from the time, tax collectors are included in the lists of murderers and thieves. Another scholar says anyone who is familiar with moles and informants in Nazi and communist regimes will have an appreciation for the loathing that first-century Jews felt for tax collectors. Levi was a pariah. He was an untouchable. He was absolutely hated by everyone. So the reason we have this second calling of a disciple is because the first one was a calling of what was pretty much insiders. They were still in the good graces of their Jewish community, as far as we know. And here comes this second calling, the calling of Levi, the calling of someone who everyone hated. He had sold his soul for money. He was working for their oppressors, oppressing his own people. And here comes Jesus. He comes up to the tax booth and he says, follow me. Because Jesus calls outsiders. Do you not think Levi was a little bit unsure of who he was? Do you think he was not struggling 
with where he was supposed to be, where, what his place was in the world? Do you not think he wrestled with the insider and outsider dynamic? He was not Jewish anymore. If you read anything in that quote that I just gave you, when he decided to do what he had done, he lost everything. He would walk through town and the guys he went to high school with and they stayed up late talking about girls and they stole fishing nets or whatever they did to get into trouble. I don't know. They wouldn't even look at him. The people that he, would wor- that he had grown up worshiping with in the synagogue, they would try to spit on him as he walked past them through town. He was not an insider in, in his own ethnic group anymore. And while he was working for Rome, he certainly wasn't part of that crew either and they would have been sure to let him know. Levi was the ultimate outsider. And I just imagine him laying awake in bed at night being like, is it even worth it for me to get up tomorrow? Is it even worth it for me to go back to that stupid tax booth? I wish I had never done this. How did I get into this mess? Where do I belong? And then one day, either through pride or determination or obligation or whatever it is, he's back at the tax booth and here comes this rabbi that he's heard some rumors about and maybe he's, he's kind of skirted on the outside listening to some of his teaching and that rabbi Jesus comes up right to him at the tax booth and, and Levi who's like, where do I belong? And Jesus is like, you belong to me. Follow me. Because Jesus calls outsiders. Some of you will be familiar with um, The Phantom of the Opera. I don't, I don't want to ruin the story if you haven't seen it, but at this point, if you haven't seen it, it's like you've had enough opportunities. The, the Phantom of the Opera uh, is a story about what all good stories are, which is love and betrayal and conflict and life and death. But at the heart of it, The Phantom of the Opera is a story about an outsider. The Phantom is the ultimate outsider, right? He is a, he is a musical genius, a, a vocal genius, a composer extraordinaire. But he was born with a disfigured face. And because of that, he has been ostracized from society. And you remember where he lives? He lives in like the sewers, in the catacombs, below the opera house. And his place of residence is a physical picture of where he lives in society. He's in the opera house. It's the place he longs to be. It's the place he longs to be an insider, but he's not. He's forced to live in the, dunge- in the sewer, in the dungeon. He's an insider, but he's an outsider in the very place that he longs to be an insider. And I just wonder if anyone with us this morning feels that way. I wonder if anyone can feel that tension of like physically being an insider, but emotionally and socially and relationally just feeling like you're an outsider. It could be like that at work. When you went to your office, and probably you're going back eventually. Like, I know there are are those of us who, we go there and we spend every day there and we know people there, but we don't feel like we're a part of that. We don't feel like we're on the inside there. And You know, I spent 10 years working for a company. There was a very clear line of who were the insiders and who were the outsiders. I wonder if socially some of us feel that. Like, I have a house, I have a home in a neighborhood, but this doesn't really feel like my place. Like, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't, I don't have great relationships with my neighbors. I wonder if anyone feels like that in their family. Like, biologically, I'm, I belong here, but I sure don't feel like I belong here. You can feel like that in church, right? It's, it's very easy 
to show up a few minutes late to church, kind of hang out on the edges, head straight to your car afterwards, like you're inside the building, but are you really an insider? Just continue to feel like an outsider. Here's what I'm getting at. Let's just keep it real. We all feel like outsiders. We all feel like outsiders at some level. Even those of us who from the outside, boy, sometimes when you preach, you use the same word over and over and over again. And that's just the nature of preaching. Even those of us who from a different perspective, it looks like we're on the inside. It doesn't feel like we're on the inside. It's like this constant tension of just how do I stay here? And how do I not screw up? And how how do I stay in this position? We all feel like outsiders. And if I'm just keeping it really real, I feel that tension myself. I, I, I had a pretty decent insider experience in the early years of my adulthood. I, I worked at a company for 10 years. I don't, maybe I wasn't on the inner circle, but like I knew them and they knew me and I knew the deal and I knew how it worked and it was a good job. I wasn't gonna retire at 35 necessarily, but, but we had things taken care of and I was living in the town I grew up in. When I went around town, I saw people I knew, I saw people I recognized, people knew me. I drove past the high school I went to every single day. I was just waiting for the invitation to come back for the ceremony to put a picture of me up in the cafeteria. Because <laughs> I was such a big deal. That didn't happen. If it did, it would have been probably in the boys' restroom is where that, that, that mural would have gone. Uh, but like in virtually every area of my life, I felt like an insider. And now we're here in the Bay. No, oh, my parents lived around the corner from us when we were in Ohio. Like we had family there. Now we're here in the Bay. No family. Even my family's even left Ohio. I don't even have a home there. Uh, this place is insane. And I know you all can feel that. Anyone who's moved here, just to, to figure out life and a new community and a new calling and a new career and friendships and, and community and all that stuff. There are a lot of days where I'm like, and COVID. COVID hasn't helped any of these feelings, right? There are just a lot of days where I'm like, I feel like an outsider. And here comes Jesus stepping into that. And he's like, you may not feel like you belong anywhere else, but you belong to me. Follow me. And that is enough. That is a word for you and that is a word for me, for anyone in here who is like, I'm not sure that I'm an insider anywhere. You are. You're an insider in God's kingdom because Jesus comes to call the outsiders. Now, this is a freebie. This is, I'm, I'm, I keep seeing my second point go up there, and I'm going to get there eventually. Uh, we're going over a little bit today. It's just the way it is. If you got to go, bless you. Um, we're just running with this. Uh, this is a freebie. If that is you, this is how I'm going to close up my first point. If you're like, I don't feel like I belong. If you're like, when I lay awake in bed at night, it's like, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't feel like I have a home anywhere. I just want you to know. I want you to be ready. Watch out. Because that is the exact scenario that Jesus enters into and he says, follow me. Why was Levi so willing to literally close the ledger, shut the shade, and follow Jesus on the spot? Because he was so, so discontent with his status. He was so unsure of where he belonged in the world. And that's my story as well. And so if you are there, if you are wrestling with who am I and where do I belong and what has God called me to do, watch out because the follow me is coming. He is getting you to a place where you will be ready to drop everything to do what it is that he has called you to do. Okay, that's it. Jesus calls outsiders. Number one, here's number two. Not only does Jesus call outsiders, Jesus communes with outsiders. 
Now, I know that is a funny, like, communes with, that's a little bit of a funny word, but as you're going to see, all three of my points start with C, and I just thought that was cool, and so that's why we're running with the word communes with outsiders. Jesus communes with outsiders. Verse 15, and as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Levi leaves everything to follow Jesus on the spot, and what's the next thing that Mark tells us he does? He throws a party for Jesus at his house, and he invites all of his reject, outsider, outcast friends to the party. Here come the other tax collectors. Here come the other sinners. And what we need to see about this, this is not they grabbed a bite, to, a bite of eat. To, uh, this is not they grabbed a bite to eat together. Look at verse 15 where it says he reclined at table. That is a very specific description that describes a feast. That was intimate table fellowship. There's one, one, uh, one commentator said this. I think I have it. Yeah. In Semitic culture, table fellowship like this was one of the most intimate expressions of friendship and community. This is not Jesus saying, follow me, and by doing so, get in line behind me, obey my rules, and adhere to my way of life, and try and keep up. This is Jesus saying, follow me, come to the table, sit across from me, so that you can share your life with me and I can share my life with you. This is community. This is relationship. He's not there as the, as the pastor just to, to make an appearance and, and bless them and tell them they need to get their act together. He is entering into relationship with them. He is communing with them because Jesus communes with outsiders. And predictably, the insiders or those who think they are the insiders, the scribes of the Pharisees are not happy about this. And so they say in verse 16, here comes the why question. The scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They recognize what is going on, that this is intimate table friendship, intimate fellowship. He has not gone there and told them they need to repent and get their act together, and then they can have the privilege of a meal with this rabbi. He has simply entered into relationship with them, and they are offended by it. One scholar says this actually may have been more offensive than when Jesus touched the leper a few passages back, because at least the leper didn't choose his uncleanness. These tax collectors and sinners had a choice to make and they made it and here is Jesus communing with them. Why? Because Jesus communes with the outsider. Uh, there's a Christian author. Her name is Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, several years ago, we read a book together with her that she wrote called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Wonderful book. And she has an amazing testimony and an amazing story. She was a tenured professor of English at Syracuse University in New York and was an open and out lesbian activist. Promise Keepers was coming to do an event at Syracuse University one year and she wrote a scathing article about Promise Keepers in the local paper. And predictably, she says, her inbox was flooded with hate emails from Christians telling her how awful she was and how wrong she was but she said one email stood out, and that was an email from a, a pastor in town named Ken Smith. He was the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. He didn't, he didn't criticize her. He didn't bash her. You know what he did? He invited her to his house for dinner. And to his surprise and hers, she accepted. Ken and Floyd Smith had Rosaria Butterfield into their house for dinner. 
And they didn't have her there to admonish her, to criticize her, to argue her with her. They had her there simply to show her love and kindness and grace and to get to know her. And for someone whose sum total of experiences was with Christians was pretty much that they told her she was an abomination, she was the root of all evil, that she was a pariah and she was untouchable. For a, for a Christian couple to sit down to table fellowship with her, treat her with love and grace and kindness, transformed her life. She met Jesus, and her life is totally and radically different today than it was before. Because, you can clap at that. Because the Smiths communed with her. They didn't preach at her. They didn't criticize her. They didn't condemn her. They entered into relationship with her. Jesus communes with outsiders, and that is good news for us. Because whether you have been following Jesus for a long time or whether you're not even sure who this Jesus guy is, most of us have a pretty warped view of God. Most of us see God as this this crazy, maniacal tyrant who wants to do everything possible to ruin our fun and is just waiting for us to screw up so that he can zap us. But here's the problem with that picture of God. It is not in the Bible. The picture of God is the picture we get in these few verses of Jesus sitting down with the absolute least of these, the total outcasts, the total pariahs, not making them change anything about their lives before he enters into relationship with them. And that is what God does for you and for me. He longs to be a friend to you, not to condemn you. He calls you to follow him, not so that you can get in line behind him and obey all his rules and adhere to his way of life and just try your hardest not to screw up. He calls you to sit at the table with him and know him as a friend because God communes with outsiders. God calls outsiders. God communes with outsiders. And here's the last thing he does. Jesus came for outsiders. Jesus came for outsiders. It is his mission. Verse 17, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus responds to this criticism. He uses what most scholars think was a fairly well-known proverb of the day. It's not that the healthy don't need a doctor, it's the sick. It'd be like today if he was like, you only live once. Like we all agree with that. We hear it everywhere and the scribes are like, oh yeah, that's true. And then Jesus says, here's the reason I came. I came to hang out with the outsiders. I came to call the outsiders. I came to commune the outsiders. And don't miss the irony or the sarcasm in how Jesus responds to these so-called insiders. Nobody is righteous. Nobody is healthy. Everybody needs Jesus. But what he is saying is that there is something about those who are able to acknowledge that they are deficient. There is something about those who are able to admit, acknowledge, and recognize we don't have it all together. We are sick. We need someone to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. There is something about that that puts us into Jesus' orbit. There is something about that that allows him to heal us. Now, he's God. He can heal anybody. But he does not impose himself on those who think they are righteous, on those who think they are healthy. It is those who think they are sick. It is those who know that they are unrighteous that open the door that Jesus might come in, call them, commune with them, and heal them. Because Jesus calls outsiders. He communes with outsiders. And it's the reason he came. He came for outsiders. And so if that is his mission, it should be ours too. 
if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we should reflect this in the way that we live our lives. This place should feel like that house party at Levi's house. This place should be a place where someone who's not comfortable with the khaki pants and the tucked in polos, if they ever were to enter into this place, would feel like, man, I'm welcomed, I'm safe, and I'm loved in this place. But here's the deal. There are not a lot of outsiders wandering into churches these days. And for good reason. They often, don't, they often aren't made to feel that way. So if, if Jesus' mission is going to be our mission, if we are going to be on mission, if we are going to know Jesus and we are going to make him known, we are going to have to be comfortable going outside of these four walls and developing relationships with the kind of people that the world says, who's coming to dinner? You're hanging out with who? Because if we only ever spend time with people who look like us, sound like us, vote like us, believe like us, we are not doing what Jesus has called us to do. There is a world outside this church that is desperate to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they will not hear it if we cannot convey it to them in kindness and grace and humility, one outsider to another. He calls outsiders, he communes with outsiders because he came with outsiders. And we're just gonna, we're gonna go home on this. There's one more thing I want us to see in this passage. If we circle back to verse 15, uh, let me just read it for us again. I want to see if you notice something about how it's read, how it's written. He reclined at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. Did you catch that? We believe he's at Levi's house. Who's the host? Well, you would think it's Levi. Who does Mark make the host? Jesus. He says they were reclining there with Jesus because Jesus is the host of this feast. Jesus is the host of this party. And get it, this is not some rabbi having dinner with some sinners and tax collectors. This is not um, a teacher of the law having dinner with some tax collectors and sinners. This is God himself. This is the creator of the world. This is the Messiah sitting down to a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Look at what God promises through the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Revelation 3.20, Jesus says what? I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and what? Eat with him. I will come into him and eat with him. This is a picture of the messianic banquet. This is a picture of the banquet that God is going to throw for all those who trust him with their life at the end of all time when sin and death are eradicated forever. This is not just a rabbi eating with some sinners. This is God offering forgiveness and grace to those who are desperately sick and need that forgiveness and grace. 
It is why the insiders were so offended. They don't deserve that. They aren't worthy of that. And yet that is what God is promising for all who will recognize that they are sick and in need of him. So guess who's coming to dinner? You and me and everyone else who is able to acknowledge that they are sick, they cannot heal themselves, and they need a Savior to do it. We are all outsiders. We are all outsiders. And that is good news because it is exactly who Jesus came for. Let's pray. God, we ask that this, uh, this word would sink deep into our hearts and, and, and minds and souls today. Uh, we are so prone, God, to run after the things of this world, to run after status and accomplishments because we are insecure and, and we're anxious and we look for our fulfillment and our identity in all the wrong places and we just want to feel like we're special. We want to feel like we're an insider. And God, the true insiders are those who are in your kingdom. I pray, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see, open our ears to see, hear this word from you today. And that if there is someone here today, if there is someone listening online who knows they are an outsider, who feels that they are an outsider and is looking at this promise and is like, it's too good to be true. May they know it is not too good to be true. It is, as, it, it is, the, it is the beauty of your gospel that you came for the outsider, that you love the outsider, that your mission was to the outsider. God, it's why, Jesus, it's why when Jesus, you were here, you were always getting kicked out of towns and villages. It's why you were always going to the wilderness because your kingdom is a kingdom of outsiders. And we thank you that you have made us insiders. Those of us who know we are sick, we, we plead with you to make us well. We need you more than we need anything else. Be with us, we ask. Guide us, provide for what we need and go with us as we leave this place. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. I, I, I knew when I started I had more material than I could fit into my time allotment, and I just didn't tell you because I, I wanted to keep it a secret. So thanks for hanging. Uh, please, uh, uh, we're going to continue to exit the sanctuary um, as quickly as possible after service. And, uh, and we'll get some stuff uh, up on our website and out in our email about the changes to our guidelines that are going to start next week. Please stand for the benediction. And if you're kids, awesome job hanging in. Thank you. You guys are rocking it. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Until we meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. You are loved and you're prayed for and you are sent.